Hello Colts fans and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me per usual is Mike Chappell and for the first time since November we are not celebrating a victory Monday. I don't know what we'll call it, melancholy Monday maybe that describes how a lot of Colts Nation is feeling today. But on the podcast, the Colts Blue Zone podcast, as you know, we'll break down the playoff scenarios in which the Colts can still make their way into the postseason. We'll go over what went wrong in Pittsburgh. There's many things to talk about. Many good things, too. But unfortunately, too many of those good things happened in the first half. We'll also discuss takeaways from that game, a few injuries that are very noteworthy with Indianapolis. But as always, we'll start with the news today. And the Colts game versus the Jaguars has been moved on Sunday to 4.25 p.m. Eastern Time after Green Bay's win. Uh, those in central Indiana can watch the game on CBS 4. So a little later start for the Colts. Uh, that just means guys like uh, me and Mike will be working a little later that day. Unfortunately there. But uh, you guys don't care about that. So we'll move on to something that you do care about. And that's... Punter Rigoberto Sanchez has been selected by his teammates as a recipient of the 2020 Ed Block Courage Award. It's an annual award given to a player for his courageous play. And I mean, if you're playing a game with a tumorous cancer, I'd say that's pretty courageous right there. Um, And then, unfortunately, Mike Rigoberto was uh, pretty busy on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's one early in the year. Remember, he didn't punt much at all. And and now he's back punting because the offense kind of fits and starts, but yeah, it's, it's the Ed block is for overcoming adversity and all this. And like you said, he punted against two, was it Tennessee? Was it 45, the 45, the blowout game with that. And then, and then he missed a game. So, so yeah, it's, he, he exemplifies and personifies what this is about and kudos to him. And uh, so, yeah, and and it's really a prestigious award. Your, your teammates give that to you. And and there's a, there's a set there always has been a ceremony at the end of the year, I believe in Baltimore, uh, for all the 32 recipients. Now, whether that happens this year, I don't know. But when you're talking individual honors for players, non, non-football non MVP type stuff, this is high on the list. It's certainly, probably right behind the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. On to the COVID news. I know you guys knew that one was coming. Uh, on Sunday, the Bills placed running back T.J. Yeldon uh, he tested positive and was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. He is not traveling to play in Monday night's game against New England. And then also Adam Schefter reported on Sunday that the Texans placed safety Eric Murray on the reserve COVID list. Unclear if he tested positive or not. And uh, I'm sure many saw that on Sunday the Browns played without their top four wide receivers who are all deemed close contacts. Um, we'll see if any of those wide receivers end up testing positive as the week goes along and they take their tests. Um, these are all important to the Colts because each of these teams are playing in games this coming Sunday that will impact the Colts' uh, playoff hopes, and we'll have more on that in just a second. The Jets were able to beat the wide receiverless Browns on Sunday and that meant the Jacksonville Jaguars have now locked up the first overall pick in the draft. It means in all likelihood the Colts will now be facing Trevor Lawrence, the most highly regarded quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck came out twice a year for at least the next five years. Uh, we have plenty of time to talk more about the draft, but right now the Colts have a season to play and they have playoffs on the line. They must beat 
the one-win Jacksonville Jaguars to reach the playoffs. And then they're going to need a little bit of help as well. Uh, the Colts have a chance to finish 11-5 and and still make the playoffs. Mike, I saw you noted on Twitter that it's happened since the NFL moved to the 16-game schedule in 1978 just twice. 2008 with the Patriots and then 1985 with the Broncos. I mean, I don't want to I don't even want to think about it right now because there are four teams who if one of these four teams loses and the Colts win, the Colts are in. Those teams are, are the Tennessee Titans who lost to the Packers Sunday night last night, which almost hurts even more because if the Colts were to beat the Steelers, they'd be in the lead for the division right now. But woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh, other team besides the Titans, the Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Miami Dolphins. If any of those teams lose on Sunday and the Colts win, and he makes the playoffs for the first time since 2018. Now, some of those teams have a better chance of losing than others. The 10-5 and 5 Titans play the 4-11 and 11 Texans in Houston. Houston looks like they'll be without starting left tackle Laramie Tunsil, who has an ankle injury. You know, Deshaun Watson is capable of beating anybody on any day, but he hasn't very many times this year. Uh, so the Titans playing for their playoff lives. Uh, that game looks like they'll probably win, but you never know in the NFL. Another game that looks like it's not going to go the Colts' way is the Ravens, 10-5, are playing the 4-10-1 Bengals in Cincinnati. Again, you never know, but the Ravens have been playing good football as of late. Now, here we go to the Colts' two best chances of reaching the playoffs. 10-5 Browns play the 12-3 Steelers in Cleveland. Uh, And then the other game is the 10-5 Dolphins play the 11 and 3 Bills in Buffalo. Both the Steelers and the Buffalo Bills will want to play in that game because the two seed still up the, for grabs between those two teams. Mike, when you look at this and run through all these scenarios, what goes through your mind when you're thinking, man, the Colts still don't have a playoff lockdown and they've won 10 games, maybe 11 by the end of the year? It's just crazy. You're going into the this last week with a chance of being. The three seed, I don't think it'd be a three seed, a four seed is a division champ and host a, a game or be home. That, that, that's the crazy swing. And I, you just look like the, the odds say one of these teams is going to lose. And again, I, I keep thinking Miami at Buffalo, but I thought Miami, I mean, after what happened out in Las Vegas, I mean, if, if ever a year is for an 11 and 5 team to not make it, it's this year. Uh, I've seen some people speculate that maybe Pittsburgh and Buffalo rest players because, you know, the number two seed doesn't hit. You're going to play that first weekend anyway uh, at home. But the second round, if you're number two seed, you're home. So there is something to be for the number two seed. Uh, And I think Pittsburgh would love to knock the Cleveland Browns out of the playoffs. So it's – and with the way the season's gone – I don't want to be the downer, but when I look at his schedule and see that maybe Jacksonville finishes or starts their season and finishes their season with a win over the Colts, that would be just tragic. There's a lot of words that can be tragic as one of them. I don't think that happens. I think Jacksonville, and we'll talk more later in the week, is a team that they're going to play hard for a quarter and a half, get ahead of them, and they'll, you know, they'll put their paws up in the air. But it, it's 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 that's what when we get into the game was so devastating about leading twenty four to seven in Pittsburgh. It's all right there for you, all of it. 
is right there. And like you said, with what happened in Green Bay, if they if if they hold on and then they beat Jacksonville, they're AFC South champs, regardless. So it, it's it's woulda coulda shoulda, like you said, and now it's 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 where you don't want to be. Well, it beats the alternative, but you don't want to have to to depend on somebody to lose. Uh, you know, I, you'd like to think that Houston's got a chance against uh, Tennessee. Deshaun Watson can win any game, any day, but he's going to be without his tackle. And 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 then I saw that clip of J.J. Watt talking about the state of the Texans, and this is one PO uh, player. So now whether or not he can he can rally these guys and go out on a strong note, I don't know. Maybe they're the rest of the roster is so depleted and they don't care. But, uh, you know, you, you didn't wrap it up. You didn't take care of business on Sunday, last Sunday. You've got to do it all, uh, coming up Sunday. Yeah, and obviously the best-case scenario for the Colts is that Houston beats the Titans, and the Colts can still end up division winners, not just right. a wild card. Um, you know, a lot of people laugh at the chances of that happening with the 4-11 Texans, but Texans are a much better team than the record suggests. I know they're missing several wide receivers, and that hurts Deshaun Watson. But you look at the rest of the roster, and it, it, it's not a 4-11 and 11 roster. Is it a great roster? No. But, you know, they almost beat the Colts twice. So you know, I, I was, was going to say, for all, for all the, the, the hand-wringing about the Pittsburgh game and where you are and can beat 11-5, and five, it took two fumbles at the goal line for the Colts to beat the Texans twi- twice. So you were that close to being out of it already, and, and not that that would have made Houston a playoff team, but it shows you how close they really are. Now, who, who they lose to on Sunday? They get smoked at home by who was I can't I haven't got my schedule in front of me. Who? who, uh, who uh, it wasn't Chicago, was it? No, Chicago played uh, the Jaguars. Let's see, Texans played the it was the Bengals. Okay, oh, that, that's right. That's the, the guy that covers them. Called it the most embarrassing loss he's ever been sat through, and, and he's sat through a lot of them. But I, I just think that this team, if and Tennessee doesn't believe for a second they're going to go down there and just roll over the Texans, because again, when you've got two, you know, generational players, things can happen. Uh, but but as we talked to Philip Rivers last night, he said all these scenarios hinge on one thing: the Colts have to win, so they've got to take care of their business first. But the good yeah. thing is, again, moving the Colts to the four twenty-five game, they will know at kickoff. What what's what's possible? You know, if if one of these teams, one of these three teams lose, they'll know it's winning in. Or if all three of them win, they'll know it comes down to them winning and in, in Houston winning it over Tennessee. So it's going to be a fun afternoon. Yeah, the Ravens, Browns, and Dolphins all play at one o'clock, whereas the Texans and Colts both play in the four o'clock game. Correct. Um, which which also helps the Colts in the fact that you know if say the the Bills lose to the Dolphins at one, it's good that the Steelers aren't playing at four because then they could just rest their guys with nothing right. to play for. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot going on here. But the bottom line is the Colts need to beat the Jaguars on Sunday, who, hey, you know, losing doesn't help the Jaguars anymore. They've already secured the top pick. They they have a reason to win now. <laughs> Not that they the players weren't playing before, but, you know, the fan base I saw on Sunday, there was a clip. They were cheering after the Bears scored a touchdown in Jacksonville because they wanted Trevor Lawrence. So, well, well, And one thing that's overblown, really, 
the tanking aspect of it, which no longer matters. But trust me, the Jacksonville Jaguar players, the players themselves, they don't care about Trevor Lawrence right now. I mean, they, a lot of these guys won't be there next year. They're concerned about their jobs this year. So now maybe if you're a core player down there, you really say, hey, it's going to be cool to get a, a, a great quarterback. But by and large, these players could care less about 2021 because a good number of them won't be there. Yeah, they have contracts to play for right now. And coaches to impress, you know, they're putting their play on film right now. So I, I completely understand that. Um, but m- m- moving on, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about playoffs in our Wednesday episode. We'll preview the Colts and Jaguars game. Um, Dave Griffiths will join us for that. But now we're going to transition and we're going to recap the Colts Steelers game. We have a surging Colts team facing a Steelers team who had just lost three in a row. But Surprise, surprise, end of the week, we find out that both tackles for Indianapolis are going to be out in this game. Left tackle Anthony Costanzo injured his ankle during Thursday's practice. He was already playing through a knee injury the last two games. Uh, Some about these Thursday practices. Can we stay away from ankles? Buckner hurt his ankle during the practice. We were talking before the show. You mentioned um, Anthony Walker got hurt during practice one week. Let's ease up a little bit, guys. Come on. Uh, the, the other half of that tackle duo, Brayden Smith, he was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list on Friday, means he's out for the game. It's unclear at this point whether he tested positive or was just a close contact. Hopefully he was just a close contact so that, and then he can have a couple negative tests between now and then so he can play Sunday versus the Jaguars, but we'll have to get clarity on that throughout the week. Um, a few other Colts, you know, assistant online coach Clayton Adams was unavailable for the game because of COVID-19 reasons. So that's Adams, Braden Smith, backup center Joey Hunt, defensive tackle Robert Windsor, and also linebacker coach Dave Borgonzi, who is still out. All of them out for the Colts due to COVID-19 reasons. Um, mainly Costanzo and Smith are the biggest impacts here. And it was a near worst case scenario facing a Steelers defense that leads the league in sacks. It meant that Will Holden and Chaz Green were the two tackles. And then Holden ended up going down in that game. Um, so it, it was, it was not ideal for the Colts offensive tackle situation, but nonetheless, the first half belonged to the Colts after the defense first to three and out. To start the game, the Colts offense drove right down the field. And besides the sack on Phillip Rivers' first pass attempt, the first drive was very encouraging. Nine plays, 70 yards, capped off by Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown from six yards out. It's seven to nothing early. The Colts defense then gets a stop on third and one, giving the ball right back to the offense. They couldn't do with much with it, and they end up punting. The defense then gets another three and out. But on the Colts' first play of the next drive, T.J. Watt gets to Phillip Rivers again, forces the ball out. It's recovered by Pittsburgh, who returns it to the Colts' three-yard line. Jonathan Taylor sprints down the field to make the tackle. And on third and goal from the one the Steelers punched in, we're all tied at seven. It was kind of a gift that the Colts gave the Steelers there with their offense struggling so much to just set them up at three, you know, almost a free touchdown in that scenario. Uh, however, the Colts would respond. Passes to T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle get them down the field. Jonathan Taylor would then finish, finish the job for his second touchdown of the day. 14-7, to 7, Colts back on top. 
the defense would then force their third three and out of the half, giving the ball right back to Indianapolis. And on the punt, Naheem Hines had a nice return of 22 yards, plus a penalty on Pittsburgh, had the Colts starting at the Steelers' 43. And on the second play of the drive, Phillip Rivers found his buddy Zach Haskell for a 42-yard touchdown, and that marked Rivers' 420th career touchdown. He is now tied with Dan Marino for fifth all-time. Phillip Rivers has been doing it for a while, and the Colts are now up two touchdowns, 21-7. to The teams would trade a couple of punts, and then the Colts would go into halftime up 21-7. The way they're playing, both on offense and defense, you think the Colts have this game under control. The problem is maybe some of the Colts players or coaches thought that too because the second half was a completely different story. Indy does get the ball to start the half, and they drive into Pittsburgh territory. They have first and goal at the 14, but Rivers is sacked again on third and three, and they settle for a field goal, 24-7. to It makes you wonder maybe if that fell incomplete, they would have gone for it on fourth and three and end up with a touchdown. But Blankenship got his first field goal of the day, and the Colts are now up 17 with over nine minutes left in the third quarter. That would be Indianapolis's final score of the game. And here's where the Steelers' offense wakes up. They go 78 yards in 10 plays, but credit to the defense after first and goal at the one. Indy's D makes a stand. They stop Pittsburgh on four tries, and it's a turnover on down. But now the Colts are backed up at their own goal line. The offense isn't able to pick up a first down. Steelers... Uh, start at Indy's 39 after the punt. And on the very first play, Deontay Johnson beats Rocky send deep. 39-yard touchdown. It's 24-17 to ball game. And Mike, at this point, you can feel all the momentum just shifting to Pittsburgh. Talk to Rivers. Again, he said you could feel it. You could feel it slipping away, and all of a sudden, the Colts, he said, are just trying to hang on. Lost some of their aggressiveness. And, and again, we can talk at the end. There's all the, the ruckus about getting away from the run game, which I understand. They ran the ball three times. Where Jonathan Taylor touched the ball twice. I think they ran it three times after 24-7. Situations played into that. But it was so hard to get it back. And and I, I blame – if we're in the blame game, I blame the defense so much more than I blame the offense. I just do. You, you tacked up 24 points on a team – Without your tackles, and if the if, if the defense can't, you know, Pittsburgh hadn't scored 20 points in, what, a month? And they scored 21 in the second half. So you just you just wanted somebody to make a play. Whether it was a key first down, a third down conversion, or, or a play on defense, and they just didn't do it. We talked about the last, you know, to where the defense made plays. Kenny Moore's interception at Vegas, and then the, the fumble uh, – Darius Leonard forcing a fumble uh, at Houston in, in interceptions, and they just didn't make a play. They didn't do anything, and that's why I, I, I put so much more. Yeah, the, the offense was was to blame in a lot of ways, but the defense, for crying out loud, they, over the last six games, they're giving up 400 yards a game, 28 points a game. So they've got to get that fixed for Jacksonville and hopefully beyond. But it's one of those, you know, people sometimes don't put a lot into momentum good or bad, but that's one to where you needed to make a play to stop the momentum and swing it, and they just simply couldn't do it on either side. Yeah, and, you know, I don't mean to pile too much on the defense here, but I think what looked like potentially an elite defense in the first half of the season 
now that they've played some more stiff competition over the latter half, it, it looks like maybe a very good defense, but not quite that elite can stop anybody defense that it looked like when they were playing, you know, the likes of the Lions and the Jets and teams like that early on. I saw you posted about that on Twitter. You know, they've played Rodgers, Deshaun Watson twice now, uh, Tannehill, who's playing very good ball at this Derek point Carr. in his career. Derek Carr, who's, you know, I would say above average quarterback. Um, so it, now that they're facing stiffer competition, they're still a very good defense, but maybe not that top-level, elite, you know, best-in-the-league group that they look like at times in the first half of the season. But regardless, we have some more game to talk about now. It's 24-14. to Colts with the ball now, and they're hoping to respond. On first down, Phillip Rivers is sacked for a loss of eight, and they can't recover. They have a second straight three and out. And that's one of those situations that Frank Wright alluded to. You know, you're sacked on first down, all of a sudden— it's second and 18. It's a little hard to run the ball in that situation. Now you're playing catch up. Steelers with the ball. And here's where some Colts fans and players may have a few issues with the uh, the officiating in the game. On second and 10, Kenny Moore is called for a pass interference on a deep pass to Deontay Johnson. He got to him a little early, but a closer look appears like that ball was tipped before Moore got there, meaning his contact should have been legal. It was a 24-yard penalty and wiped out what would have been a third and 10 for Pittsburgh. Uh, later on that drive, T.J. Carey is called for a defensive pass interference on second and nine. That fell incomplete. It would have been a third and nine. Uh, that penalty set the Steelers up for first and goal at the five. And on the next play, familiar face Eric Ebron finished off the drive with a touchdown catch. I mean, ha- half of their yards on that drive just came from penalties. Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Kenny Moore penalty because you know Philip Rivers was halfway down the field screaming at the officiating that that one looked like they should have been able to talk about it and overturn that call on the field. I wouldn't have been stunned if if Frank had challenged challenged that. We challenges um I, I guess you can I can't remember if they, if they got rid of the pass interference challenges or not. Yeah, they did away but, with that last year maybe. It, it, and in, in one thing that uh, Darius Leonard talked about was, I think this, if you're going to call that, you've got to call on T.Y. later uh, on the deep post. So it, it's funny how you, you all, coaches do all their scouting and other teams' tendencies and all that. Frank mentioned that they knew this uh, officiating crew was one of the more liberal in calling penalties at the, on the back end. So they sort of knew they were going to, you know, I don't want to say ticky tack, but they, they knew that there might be more penalties called, and they were. And again, when, when you've got a team that's hot like Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger, who, you know, like Frank said, he's gonna, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and now he, this team gave him life. But you simply can't give him these chunk plays, 24 yards interference, and 21 DPI. They didn't need the help. Uh, and, and we talked about it a little bit later on. The, remember the block in the back on Glowinski? that wiped out the uh, Naheem Hines uh, long, long catch and run. So uh, if I, I just hate to, I hate to harp on the officiating too much because you're up 24 to seven. I, whenever I come back, the defaults 24 to seven and you shouldn't put it in the official's hands, but those were some very questionable calls. Very questionable calls. Another one uh, we didn't mention was the chase Claypool push on Rocky sin on what, Looked like it could have been a pick no six. 
I mean, he's breaking on it. That ball is just sailing on Roethlisberger. Claypool, I mean, obviously sticks his hands out and knocks him while he's in there and knocks him back. No call. Um, it's not just that there were some questionable calls. It's that the questionable calls seem to be against the Colts, whereas the Steelers got the break. You mentioned the T.Y. Hilton pass down the field. Now, the one that wasn't was Kari Willis got away with the hold in the end zone. Yes, he on, did. Uh, on the Steelers when the Colts had the goal line stand. So I guess if you're Steelers fans, th- that's the one you point to. But I think if we were going to tally up each side, the Steelers come away with winning in the officiating department. Nonetheless, we'll get through the rest of this game here. It is now 24 to 21. Indianapolis's lead has shrunk to just three points. And I don't know about the rest of the Colts nation, but at this point in the game, I am sweating. All right, Colts need to get something going on offense. They pick up 18 yards to Jack Doyle. But then on third and five, Rivers is sacked again, bringing up another point. Steelers have the ball. They're driving on second and 10 from the Colts' 30-yard line. Roethlisberger throws incomplete deep right, but guess what? Opposite side of the field, Xavier Rhodes is called for illegal contact, wiping out what would have been another third and 10. Very next play, Big Ben hit Juju Smith-Schuster on a 25-yard touchdown over the backup safety's head, because at this point, Kari Willis is out of the game with a concussion. Pittsburgh takes the lead 28-24, to their first lead of the game. Colts get the ball back, about seven and a half minutes left in the game, and their offense needs to wake up. Seven yards to Jack Doyle over the middle. Naheem Hines rushes for 10 yards. Boom, first down. Then Phillip Rivers takes a deep shot down the middle to Michael Pittman Jr. The ball is overthrown and intercepted. Steelers take over with about six minutes to go. It's Rivers' first interception in about a month. He had gone three straight games without one. And then after... uh, Giving up three straight touchdowns, the Colts' defense finally steps up and gets a stop. Uh, Pittsburgh was able to pick up a couple first downs on the drive, however. And Indianapolis now, ball back, two minutes and 18 seconds. No no timeouts because the Colts used them to get the ball back with some time. And the Colts are starting at their own 15. Indy would make it down to the Steelers' 33, but then on fourth and eight, Rivers' pass to Zach Paschal is too high. Uh, Rivers had pressure bearing down at him like he did most of the game in this one. Game ends 28-24. to 24. Steelers win. Some of the takeaways, the Colts' struggles in Pittsburgh continue. Instead of winning for the second time in the last half century in Pittsburgh, the Colts left town 2-16 and 16 in Steel City. Mike, I saw that you noted the only quarterbacks to win or Colts quarterbacks to win in Pittsburgh Peyton Manning in 08, Earl Morrill in 1968. That's it. Man, it's like Steelers just have the Colts number. You know, they should have won last year, you know, the Colts with with the the missed kick at the end. And this year it's set up until all of a sudden you've got your your tackles out. But again, it was right there. And if not now, when? I I thought there were some good things in the game. Jonathan Taylor, when he had the chance, he ran the ball pretty well. I think he did end up averaging around four, three, nine, or whatever it was. Uh, But he he ran well, and and he got some good chunks. So Naheem Hines, the run defense was outstanding. Pittsburgh had 14 carries for 20 yards, and and they got 12 yards on one carry late. But you just just can't give up 244 yards to Roethlisberger and three touchdowns in the second half. And it's just – they – 
the most disappointing thing in my mind from that game was the lack of pressure on Roethlisberger. I realize he's a, he's the least sack quarterback. They had one sack, and that was the blitz by uh, by Willis, and they had two hits on him. That's it. And there there was a time he sat back there and padded and padded, and you just you just can't play defense like that. So as as much as his defensive line at times really steps up with with Buckner and Houston and Autry and and lately Teray, uh Sunday wasn't one of their finest moments because you've got you've got to get him off the spot and make him move around and they didn't do it. Yeah, the the pass rush was really a no show in this game, and I was surprised. I mean, I thought at least Buckner would be able to get back there a couple times and pressure Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but even he, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, the, the broadcast calls his name once in that game. He was basically a non-factor. That Pittsburgh offensive line, while they may struggle to open up lanes in the running game, they can sure block for Big Ben, and, and that was a huge factor in this game. The second half collapse, I mean, the Colts gave up 17-point lead for the first time since 2011. Mike, I saw you noted that was tied for the fifth biggest lead given up in franchise history. Uh, the Colts defense, you know, first half, 28 plays. They held the Steelers to 95 yards, and 33 of them came on the final two completions before the half. Uh, their only touchdown was on Phillip Rivers' fumble, where the Steelers started at the Colts' three. And then Pittsburgh ends up finishing with 353 yards. They ripped off three straight second-half touchdowns. I mean, you, you just can't allow that. The penalties are not. Like you said, you kept, you kept waiting for the Colts' defense to step up and make a play. And they never did. There was no tipped pass that came down in the hands of the Colts, no sack, n- n- nothing. I mean, they came up with the big – it looked like the fourth down stop was going to be one of those big plays for that Colts defense. But then, you know, Pittsburgh gets it right back, and on the first play they get the touchdown. Um, you mentioned it, no pressure all game. They failed to force a turnover, something they've excelled at all year. They rank near the top of the league. And the offense is to blame as well after taking the 24-7 lead on Blankenship's 28-yard field goal in the second half. The Colts' run game had, as you noted, Mike, had gored the Steelers' number 8 run defense for 117 yards on 25 attempts. Taylor had 74 yards and two touchdowns on 16 attempts. Then over the Colts' final five possessions, the run game had just three carries for 25 yards. Um, I think one of that was Naheem Hines on the final drive of the game right. uh, where he just runs out of the bounds. Steelers are playing prevent defense. Uh, after the game, Frank Wright, you know, you guys asked him about this. He kind of pointed to the Steelers' run blitzes. They were playing the run more, um, situations that called for pass. He said there were several times where they had a run called and they end up, you know, at the line of scrimmage, switching out of it to a pass. You know, the Colts' final p- five possessions – 35 plays, a net of 88 total yards, three punts, one interception, and then the final drive of the game, the turnover on downs. Uh, penalties were a problem. Whether you thought they were fair or not, nine penalties for 85 yards, and several of them were killers. <laughs> Darius Leonard took issue with the penalties. He said, quote, played a big role. The one on Kenny Moore was terrible. I don't care. That was awful. Uh, he certainly wasn't happy about it, and neither was Colts Nation. I mean, you look at Twitter, you would have thought that the officials just straight up punched the Colts players in the face or something like that. It was that offensive. Um, one could argue, though, that turnovers were the difference in this game. After three straight games with no turnovers, seven on the season, 
Colts had two costly ones. Philip Rivers' fumble led directly to the touchdown. And then late in the fourth quarter, Philip Rivers' interception uh, greatly hurt their comeback chances. I mean, they were six minutes left in the game, driving with a chance to retake the lead, and he just throws the pick. I get if you're Rivers and you have the pressure on you all game like that, you're probably thinking, man, it's going to be really tough to dink and dunk our way all the way down the field for a touchdown. We're going to need some bigger plays. But that shot there, he just didn't have it. Pittman Jr. was not open, and it wasn't near him either. It's funny. I was looking. You talk about the turnover. You, 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 gave, you give life to a team that had none. Uh, they had done nothing up until then. It reminded me, I was just cranked my book up. I was looking at last year. Remember the Colts were up. They were up 10-3. to 3. Uh, in the second quarter, I believe it was, and they're driving for another touchdown to go up 17-3. to And Brian Hoyer, they called him Bobby Hoyer on the broadcast. But Brian <laughs> Hoyer throws that pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, instead of being up 17-3, to it's 10-10. to So, you know, it's one thing that, to lose the turnover battle. It's another one to have the turnover just to really lead directly to a score, and that did. Uh, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate. They had been so good at taking care of the ball. I can almost excuse the, the long interception. You're trying to make a play, although Gotti threw in the double coverage and Pittman really didn't have a chance, but, uh, to give up the, the strip fumble, those are just killers when, when they had to do so little to score and get themselves some life. In. Cause again, you, you, if, 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 you know, 24 to nothing is a lot different than 24 seven. So, uh, you know, if, 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 and, and it's, the, again, there are so many things we're going to look back on if this thing ends up 11-5 and five and out of the playoffs that the, how this Pittsburgh game will, will be one that we really get over for a long time because of all the ramifications of what it could have meant, to, what it might mean to you for not doing what you need to do. And it's strange because going into the game, I mean, I think it's very reasonable to expect the Colts to lose this game in Pittsburgh with – their two starting offensive tackles out. I mean, that your two starting offensive tackles against Pittsburgh almost equate to a quarterback. That's how important it is. Well, to your and your number three tackle is on IR with an Achilles, LaRaven Clark. Yeah, and LaRaven Clark isn't even available. So they're literally pulling people off the street. I mean, Will Holden and, and uh, Webb, they pulled up, who had played for them in the past but was just on their practice squad. They had to bring him up for the game. So it's weird to think in a game where it's the way they lost. It's the way they lost the game, not that they won. If it was a close game throughout and the Steelers just end up winning at the game, you go, man, they played them pretty tough for not having their tackles. But after having the lead and then not doing the few things that you needed to do to win at the end of the game, it really leaves a bad taste in your mouth and gives ammunition to all that anti-Philip Rivers haters out there. And and Frank Wright haters. You know, people are you know, that questioning his play calling and is either is either a coach. At halftime, he was probably the coach of the year. So it, it it's crazy how things change over a thirty minute you know part of the game or the second half. But you know we'll we'll have the discussion maybe next week if these guys finish eleven and five and don't make the playoffs. Is this a successful year? I mean, if you're sitting back in. And somebody tells you, you know, we're going to give you 11 and 5. Don't play. Just show up at the end of, you know, 1st of January and take your chances. 
many teams would have taken, done everybody but Kansas City and, and Green Bay, maybe. So uh, it, it's we'll see where this ends up. Hopefully, the football gods won't let an eleven and five team not make it. But that—that's what the Colts let happen. They left that possibility by not finishing the deal in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they certainly did. And it—that's a tough question you posed because going into the season, it was pretty much playoff or bust for the Colts, who you know made the win now move right. with Buckner and Rivers. But then eleven and five—that's a darn good year for anybody. I don't care if you're the. Chiefs or the Patriots in the midst of their dynasty, eleven and five is a good season. Um, it, it, and get out of here with this Frank Wright stuff. I see it on Twitter too. But two of his three years, he's got the team double digit wins, and then they go seven and nine in a year where he loses his starting quarterback three weeks before the season. I mean, that that's nonsense. Frank Wright, in my opinion, is a good coach and deserves to remain the coach of the Indianapolis well, and, Colts. And again, the next discussion. The next discussion we have at 11 and 5, and this will be a really good discussion as well. Philip Rivers, do you bring him back after an 11 and 5 season? He, I, I, in, in training camp and even before in, during the summer, about my expectation is for him to come in and throw 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and 4,000 yards. That's what you want. And that's exactly where he is. He's 23 and 10, 4,000 yards. He, he he's had some rough spots. He's not been the problem. The, the problem is going to be if you want to get rid of him. And we've talked about it briefly in the past. What's your plan B? Who's your plan B? And until somebody tells me what a plan B is that I like, uh, I, I bring Rivers back and and, and take my chances. Uh, I'm the same with you. I have many people who are not so happy with Rivers, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do if you don't? Who we'll draft somebody? Easier said than done, and also in the bottom third of the league again. Exactly, and they're like, "Oh, I'd rather have Trevor Lawrence. I'd rather have Justin Fields." So would a lot of teams rather have Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Or it's easier said than done. It's not that easy to get that young franchise quarterback. Yes, the Colts are going to have to do it in the near future, but even if they bring Rivers back, they can still draft somebody and let him develop. I mean, I. That's a discussion for another time. We right. have lots of time to talk about that. Um, one more note from this game that I will mention. T.Y. Hilton had three catches for 60 yards on the day, and that pushed his career total to 9,333, which moves him past Raymond Barry for third all-time in Colts history. So now it's Marvin Harrison one, Reggie Wayne two, and then T.Y. Hilton. Uh, it just seems right. That's how it should be. Three excellent Colts receivers. One, two, three now in the wide receiver rankings. Mike, did you have any other takeaways from this game? No. And one thing, again, we made so much of of the tackles being out and Chaz Green, who did not play well, did not play well. But did you notice Will Holden out there on Sunday? I didn't. I didn't and either. And it's a good thing. I thought he played pretty well. Now, I realized TJ, or yeah, TJ Watt was on the other side, but I thought Will Holden held up pretty well. And if Heaven forbid the tackles are out again this week, and, and we'll see about Will Holden. These ankles can be problematic. I don't. I don't start Chaz Green. I don't. I put Jamarcus Webb at left tackle, and I put Danny Penner at right tackle. That's where he played at Ball State. I realize he's not played there much this season as far as practice, but uh, again, this, and this will be a different. This will be a different defense because Jacksonville is 
awful. They're 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 like I think they're last in the league in most categories defensively. But I think the Chaz Green uh, experiment, whatever you want to call it, is not working. He gave up at least two sacks, I believe, and, and, and there was one hold on on the touchdown to uh, Zach Pascos. It was a nice snap snap picture of of him uh, horse collaring or whatever. Uh, it may have been Watt for a hold that wasn't called, but if they can just get these tackles fixed, uh, this offense should be able to put some points on the board against Jacksonville. Yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of injuries there, Holden left the game. Obviously we'll have to keep an eye on Anthony Costanzo's ankle injury. Uh, Kari Willis, as we mentioned, left the game with a concussion. Hopefully he'll be able to be back sooner than later and recover well from that. Mike, I saw you noted Michael Pittman Jr. was being evaluated for a concussion. So, that's another offensive uh, player that the Colts might be without for week 17. And we'll just have to see with Braden Smith, whether he tested positive, whether he was a close contact and he being able to be back for the Sunday's game, even without Costanza would be big. I mean, Braden Smith is a very good tackle. Well, keep um, in mind that DeForest Buckner was a positive and he missed one game. Uh, so again, it's, it's, it's not, it's not out of, out of the realm of possibilities that, that Smith is available. Although he he went on the list on Friday, you've got to be out if you're if you're positive test. It's a minimum of ten days, I believe it is. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know that Frank will give us much clarity in a bit when we talk to him. But uh, as the week unfolds, it's going by how the tackles are progressing. Yeah, and we'll keep you updated on how that unfolds as the week goes along on Twitter at the Colts Blue Zone. Be sure to follow us there. That'll do it for the podcast today. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe. Follow Mike on Twitter at mchapel51. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast through whatever listening device, whatever platform you listen to, subscribe and download for us. And be sure to join us on Wednesday when we preview the Colts' do-or-die matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, from myself and from Mike, Colts Nation, you have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. 